Well, we are, uh, for, for some of you who've been us for, with us for a while, we're jumping back into the Gospel of John. For others of you, this will be something brand new. We're, we are uh, going to be walking towards the cross and the empty tomb here as we finish up the Gospel of John. We've been walking through the Gospel of John for a couple years here with some breaks in between. And we're picking things back up here in John chapter 18. If you have a Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there to John chapter 18. We'll be, uh, we'll be reading through this here eventually. I felt like since we've had a break and there's so many newer people here, that it'd be good to just do kind of a review on the gospel of John. Now, first off, when we talk about gospel, I'm referring to the gospel of John. The, the, the word gospel means good news. There's four books we call gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These all tell about the, the historical life of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and what, how he lived and, and his example, but also how he died and, and conquered death and rose again. There's these four different gospels, these, these books that tell the good news of Jesus Christ. John, John is special in that, that it, it, it takes a, a different perspective on the, the life and the events of, of Jesus. And, and John is, is far more intentional in how he writes. John chapter 20, towards the end of the book, there he says this about, about his, uh, his gospel and his book as he wrote. He said, that, now Jesus did many other th- signs. In the presence of the disciples. John didn't just set out to record historical events. He didn't just put this together so that we might be more knowledgeable. Our very lives depend on the content of what John is sharing with us. Of what John is revealing through the Holy Spirit. Our very lives depend on the quality of our life right now, here and now. This side of heaven. But there, we know, many of us are here because we, we know that there is more than this life. Not just our quality of life here now, but, but, but eternal life is at stake. And so, all the more reason we need to perk our ears. This isn't just some kind of religious instruction. This isn't merely a motivational kind of message that we hear from God's word. This is life-altering, life-changing. The truth. As John goes through and unpacking Jesus' story in life, he, he does so by, 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 by unpacking his story, the history, and with a variety of different themes. And, and, I, and I thought this chart was really helpful just to, to bring everybody up to speed to where we're at right now. John records uh, seven particular miracles in the life of Jesus. Turning water into wine to show that Jesus is the one who is creator. He is the one who can manipulate molecules. He can create something out of nothing. 
turning water into wine, healing a nobleman's son. He does it merely by his word. He just speaks and he's healed. Who has control over our health and our and disease? Who can just speak and heal? Healing a man in Bethesda. He, this is a lame man who didn't just need healing physically. He needed healing in his soul. Feeding 5,000 men and plus women and children, probably 10 to 15,000 people. He is the provider of all things. He is the bread of life. As he walked on water, he showed that he has power over the physical elements of this world. Healing a man born blind. Raising Lazarus from the dead. He has victory power over death itself. These signs and miracles should be be evidence enough to point to who Jesus is, but there's more. There's teachings he has. He's the son of... He as the son is the savior. He as the son is living water that satisfies us. He as the son is one with the father. He is God himself. Again, he's the bread of life who satisfies us, who provides for us. He's the light of the world. He gives truth. He gives hope in the midst of our darkness and the distortions of this world. He's the good shepherd. He will care for us. He will save us. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Salvation exists through him alone. And finally here, there's this other category called I am statements. John records for the Jews, the Jewish people understood that the God who created all things, the God that we've sung about today, he revealed himself by the name Yahweh. Now, this name was so sacred, they wouldn't even speak that. For me to even speak that among Jews would be considered blasphemy. It it would be something so so dishonorable. They they couldn't even spell it, so they would only use the, the consonants. And not the vowels. Yahweh. What that means is I am. The name of God is I am. Jesus in in coming and and in sharing and revealing who he was. He used these I am statements that were only true of the one true God. To show not just by his signs. But even in the teaching that he is God Himself, God with us. I am the bread of life. We've talked about that. I'm the light of the world. Again, he is the source of truth and hope. I am the door to the sheep. He's the way to God's family, to reconciliation with God. He's the good shepherd. He will lead us, but he will also lay his life down for us. I am the resurrection and the life. In him is life over death, life after death, life in the face of death. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to salvation, to know God except through Jesus Christ, exclusively through him. And I am the true vine. He will live his life through us if we receive him as I am, as our God. All of these miracles, all of this teaching precedes where we are today. Jesus has just got done sharing with his disciples, his followers, his final teachings. I'm going to have to die. 
I'm going to leave you. But it's better that I do. After having shared all these things, we come to the passage that we're at today. John chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and disciples had entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers of the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews. It would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come to you now. Needing your, your work for, to open our hearts, Lord God, as we're extra tired from this daylight savings. The many things that have been going on this week, Lord God, things we're anticipating and looking to, the stresses at home, the, all, all the pressures and distractions, and Lord God, we need you, Spirit. These words are life. Help us to hear the riches, Lord, of, 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 of what Jesus is offering us today. Holy Spirit, I need you to, I need you to come upon me, your sinful, broken servant. I need your filling. I need you to speak through me. I need you to change me. In your name we pray. Amen. So we come to this context, this moment here. Jesus has left the room where they had been eating. And they go into this place. It's a garden. It's outside the city. And, and, and it's a garden of olive trees. All right? And, and, and Jesus and his disciples, they, they would go to this garden, uh, 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 the Garden of Olives, uh, uh, called Gethsemane. Um, they would go there often. 
Jesus would teach to them, and they would have these times together. As, as, the, as the, the scripture points out here, Judas knew that Jesus would often go here. Jesus knew Judas knew. And he went there. So Judas would meet them. As we see here in the passage, Jesus going to the garden, Judas gathers together really a small army. Roman soldiers, uh, 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 soldiers from the, 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 the temple uh, that served the, 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 the priesthood and the, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the Jews. And, and, and now the Romans had a, they had a reason to be concerned. You see, this is Passover. Passover for the Jews was their celebration of freedom from slavery in Egypt thousands of years ago. They're also under slavery now. The Romans knew we didn't want the Jews to get a little too excited about being free. They didn't want some kind of riot or revolution getting started. So it was their best interest to help make sure that they were to keep whatever might happen, come out of this, this, this Jesus guy who, who's uh, claimed to be this Messiah, the, this King. We, we need to, we need to squash this. So they were more than eager to help the Jews. So they come out. Judas is leading them. And Judas has told them this. He's, he's, Jesus has claimed to be a, a, a king. A false king. He's, he's, he's committed blasphemy for the Jews. Or he's committing treason for the Romans. So these band of soldiers come out. We see here torches. Because they were prepared to go for the hunt, to search that they might be hiding. They had weapons because there would be a resistance. They're going to fight. They're prepared for battle. This is kind of like a SWAT team coming in. They're all geared up, armored up, and they're going in, and they're going in hot, but they're going in stealth mode. There's great irony here. We've got all this, this, this activity, this, this, this energy, this tension that's rising. And verse 4, Jesus knows all that's going to happen. Again, Judas knew where Jesus normally met. But Ju- Jesus knew what Judas knew. Jesus knew what Judas' plans were. And Jesus willingly, Jesus intentionally, put himself in this situation in order to be caught. Knowing that this would happen, verse 4, he comes forward. Before they even enter into the garden, Jesus goes out. He doesn't wait for them. He's not hiding all the the, the weapons, the torches. They're going to go hunt for him. Jesus comes out to them. It's the easiest arrest they've ever had. He comes out. Who are you looking for? He offers himself up to them. No need for for torches. He wasn't hiding. No need for weapons. There's no resistance. He gave himself up. They didn't arrest Jesus. Jesus Gave himself 
intentionally, willingly. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Earlier, Jesus explained as he was talking about how he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays his life down for his people. In John chapter 10, he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay my life down in order to take it up again. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own cord. Jesus isn't ultimately even giving himself to the to Judas to betray him. He's not ultimately giving himself to these men, these soldiers to arrest him and bind him up. He's not ultimately giving himself to these religious leaders who will, who will uh, examine him, who will falsely accuse him. He's not giving himself to them. Jesus is giving himself to God the Father. You see, there's something so significant not just life-shattering, not just life-changing, but, but, the, but the trajectory of eternity is, is happening, is at stake here. It's changing. Jesus is giving himself out of love to the Father, but out of love for you and me. Out of love for the very officers who are arresting. Out of love for Judas, who's betraying him. Not many of us wake up in the day with a plan and, and just coming to the Lord and just thinking like, God, today I'm going to suffer. Today I'm going to suffer. Yes, that's my plan. Going into the day, Jesus, make it hard. Anybody? Anybody here? Okay, we might have some mental health issues if that's the case. Well, that's just not the case. Like we, we spend time, money, emotions, avoiding pain and suffering, protecting from it, planning for it, trying to maneuver around that. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Very week before, before the Passover celebration had started, he, he, he expressed out loud in, in John chapter 12, that by time has come. For me to be lifted up, to be crucified. My time has come. Shall I say with Lord, uh, Father, oh, save me from this hour? By no means. Jesus knew what his task was. His purpose. Maximum pain. Maximum suffering. The worst that any anything in existence could possibly experience. That's what he was headed into. And he wanted to for you and me. I can't imagine, you know, modern times he might've had like a playlist going in his earbuds. Like it's the final countdown. Something like that. Maybe it was eye of the tiger, you know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. The point is, Jesus pursued hell, the wrath of God, the suffering at human hands, our hands. He intentionally pursued it for you, for me. So he goes out. 
He goes to him. He gives himself up. This was always the plan. And he asks them the question, who do you seek? And they make this statement. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says something here. It's really difficult for us to experience what happens at this moment. In the English translation, we have, I am he. But the words in the Greek, ego eimi, I don't expect you to remember that. I just threw that out there so you can think I'm intelligent. I'm just going to be honest. The words he used there are also translated, I am. I am. Immediately, the soldiers, the people fall back down on the ground. As a result of Jesus saying this simple phrase, I am. The book of John, he's been very intentional as we saw in that chart up there. Jesus has been very intentional throughout showing I am all the attributes of God. The one who revealed himself to Moses the, the, the guy that it, the Jews would celebrate who led them out of slavery. They were just in that week reminded of, of, of this dude named Moses. And he had this experience with God. And God said, my name is I am. You're going to go to Israel. You're going you're to go to Egypt. You're going to tell the Jewish people what my name is. And my name is I am. And you need to remember my name forever. My name is I am. It's no accident that Jesus repeatedly stated in his life and teaching, I am. And the attributes of God. And he stands before these soldiers and Judas. And they know, the Jews know, when Jesus says this statement, when they come out, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, with authority of God himself. I am. They can't help but fall down in honor. Not because they want to, but because God's presence demands it. Jesus speaks the divine name as his own name. They were on holy ground. The Judas and the soldiers, blinded by their own sin, pride, persist in their agenda. That's just like us. In the presence where we see God demonstrate his goodness and his presence with us in our lives and around us. And yet we still reject him and turn away to our own lives and my way because of our own pride and our sin. Yet he is a wondrous, holy God. Who created all things. Friends, we are always in, on holy ground. I don't know if you realize, it's not here at church. But the presence of Jesus Christ is everywhere in his creation. We are always on holy ground. And he deserves our honor. And the truth is, even when we don't honor him, he's still present with us. He's good. Jesus is the I am. 
the God of all creation, the God of Israel, the God of all nations. Jesus is the I am. Go to the next slide there. I'm going to go to the next slide. Let me skip through that. Sorry about that, Ron. As the story goes, continues on here. Jesus willingly gives himself up. And he expresses, make sure you take none of these Disciples, those who are my followers, you leave them behind. You came from me. You came from me. Leave them behind. Peter, in his passion, Peter is this extrovert, us extroverts. I'm guilty. I'm one of them. We have the tendency, if we don't, are not aware of our own selves, we will, you know, ready, fire, aim, right? We will, we will act and then we'll think about what we just did and then we're going to act some more. We do as extroverts. Peter, in all his passion and his love for Jesus and his lack of understanding of his purpose, pulls out his sword and, and goes all Ginsu on this dude's ear. Cuts it off. Jesus rebukes Peter. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Put your sword away, Peter. I'm not about to resist what's happening here. This is all part of the plan. Jesus says, shall I not drink the cup? What does this mean that he's talking about? Jesus is referring to language that was used throughout God's relationship with the, the Jewish people and him revealing himself. This is language of the cup. There's two different things the cup could represent. The cup could represent like uh, uh, you know, our portion, abundance. It's in Psalm 23. My cup overflows. So what am I to receive? My cup might represent, like what am I to receive? And, 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 and it could re- represent receiving abundance from God. But the most often use of the term cup in the Old Testament was this symbolism of God's justice. The term is wrath. We sung about that in earlier in the song, In Christ Alone. It's a term that we don't often use in today's time. Because when we think of wrath, God is a, he's a God of wrath. We think, oh man, he's abusive. Oh, he's, he's unhinged. He's out of control. He, he, he's using his anger to harm people. What we do with that language, we have the tendency as human beings to project onto God our own brokenness, our own issues, our own experiences in this life with broken people. If God, the only way a God could truly exist is if he's truly holy and perfect and good. Only way he can exist. So, so his expression of anger must be truly perfect. That means it's just. When you hear the word wrath, you want to th- I want you to think of justice, righteousness. God is right in making a judgment. Just like if we break the law, if somebody murders somebody else, we want justice. Somebody steals other people's things, we want 
justice. We know there are truly objective, moral boundaries, right and wrong. And we also call these things sin. There's these more obvious things, uh, adultery and, 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 and murder and, and, and stealing. These things seem like, oh, those are, those are really obvious. They're really bad. But our sin is even that selfish thought. That, that, that prideful thought of, man, look at that person. They're a loser. Or, or they're less than. Um, I'm better than that. I'm, I'm so glad I'm not like them. The lustful thoughts. Wanting things that aren't ours. Whether it be coveting or sexual. Sin is not just these overt extreme behaviors. But they're, they're these very personal issues in our affections and our thought life. Our sin deserves justice. We have this idea in us that we need justice in this life. But oftentimes it's like other people need justice. Not me, right? This reference of the cup of God's wrath is about God is a perfect God. And if he is a loving God, you cannot have love without accountability. You cannot have love without justice. This culture in these day and the time wants to erase that. And it's going to create chaos and more pain and more destruction. You cannot have love without justice. So these words, take a peek with me through some of these Old Testament references. Psalm 75 says this, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it all and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And Isaiah says this, wake yourself, wake yourself and stand up. O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. The word of God explains that our sin deserves God's justice for the wages of sin is death. Why do we have disease in this world? Why do, why do we experience death? Why do we experience anxiety, depression? Why are we at conflict with each other? Why do we deal with so much polarization? It's not just because of political issues and differences of ideas. It's a problem inside of us. It's because death is not just something that happens at the end of our life. It's a, something that's at work in every one of us every day. It's the consequence of our sin. But not only that... There's the eternal consequence of the judgment. Just like a criminal would go to jail, there is the time that will come that we will all face judgment for our sin at the end of our life when Christ returns. We will either pay that penalty ourselves forever. When you consider that, consider the weight of that. We all deserve justice. All of us have sinned and fall short of God. All of us. And none of us can fix it. It's like us trying to fix the $30, million, $30 trillion debt. No person can do that. No, our nation can't even do that. And it just keeps accumulating. That's our sin. We deserve 
justice. We can't fix it. What are we going to do? God sent his son, Jesus Christ. We will either pay the justice of God ourselves, or we need a substitute. We need something. We need someone else to satisfy the wrath of God, the justice of God that we deserve. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus understood the weight. He praised this earlier. Matthew captures this. John doesn't put this in there, but you can go to the next slide. Matthew captures Jesus before Judas comes and, 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 and Jesus goes out to Judas. Jesus is on the ground praying this prayer. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground, fell on his face, and he prayed saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as my I will, but as you will. Jesus wrestled because Jesus knew he wasn't merely going to be crucified. He wasn't merely going to be whipped with a whip that had bone and and, and rocks at the end of it. that just tore your flesh. He wasn't concerned about that. Can you imagine not being concerned about flesh tearing whipping? I'm concerned about that. That wasn't his concern. It was taking the wrath of God. For every human being, for all time, for all sin, for all evil, to break the curse that's in us, to pay the penalty that's before us, to intervene and save us from ourselves. He knew what it was to take it all on himself and he would be rejected by God. But this was always the plan. This was always the plan. Jesus wasn't doing this in some coerced, forced way by the Father. This was always their plan together. Why? Because he loves us. We don't deserve it. Jesus saying, I am, is so important because the only one who could satisfy the justice that we deserve is the I am. Only a perfect being. Only a perfect human being could be our substitute and replace us as the sacrifice to take death on himself to turn it away from us. Only Jesus, only Jesus can save us. Not just from the consequence of our sin, but the sin, its work in us, the brokenness in our, in our very souls, in our very bodies, in our relationships. You see, when we receive Jesus putting himself in our place, Jesus in his undeserved, perfect position, substitutes himself for us. He relieves us from the guilt that riddles all of us. We live in this place under the pressure, either unconsciously or or consciously, with with a sense of, of guilt and shame. We live in this place where we have to hide from each other. Our, our, our relationships are broken because they're riddled with unforgiveness. They're riddled with shame. And I can't show you myself because if you knew you'd reject me. And there is rejection. We shame each other. We shame ourselves. Some of you 
have this invisible whip and you just keep beating yourself with it. The things that you've done. Some of you just numb yourselves and it's the bottle or some pills or pornography or, or exercise or your work. And you just numb yourself to the reality of who you are and your brokenness. Jesus taking God's wrath on himself relieves us from shame, relieves us from this guilt. So we can take responsibility. Not that we have a freedom to do whatever we want, but we can take responsibility for our brokenness. We can grow unashamed. We don't have to hide anymore. We can forgive because he's forgiven us. We can love those who don't love us. All these things, the curse that Jesus takes changes everything. That's good news, amen? I'm sorry I'm getting passionate, but man, this is hard not to get passionate about. Jesus taking this cup is so significant, friends, not just for a sense of destination, I want to go to heaven, but it changes everything now. It changes you and me. In the midst of a hell of a world and a life where evil rules, death reigns, disease, darkness. We can have life in the midst because of Jesus. Jesus is the I am. An only God could satisfy his own wrath. Us, his own justice. We go on here. Caiaphas, as the passage ends here, verses 12 through 14. This, this high priest at the time, the high priest was the one responsible for the sacrifices for the people in order to, 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 to make sure that the, the people of God, the Israelites, were right with God, and, they, and this happened through sacrifices. The priest mediated and stood in the gap for, the, for all the people. The high priest was a leader. His, and in this time, his name was Caiaphas. And Caiaphas, without knowing it, actually contrary to his own uh, intentions here, he says it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. His intentions were in order to avoid the Romans cracking down on us Jews of this false revolt and rebellion. It's better that Jesus dies in order to protect the peace. And he was looking for more civil peace. He didn't understand that Jesus death as our substitute was to bring peace, but not the kind of national or temporary peace, but, but peace in us peace for eternity. Jesus would be our substitute. Only again, Jesus as the I am could be our substitute. He would die in our place. God made man. We needed a human being to represent human beings. To substitute. And Jesus as the God man is that perfect substitute for us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul captures this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. We see this great exchange of Jesus for us in our place. As we come to the communion table here today, friends, this time of communion is, a, is this time to reflect on, on, on the work of Jesus, on this passage today that Jesus willingly, intentionally inserted himself, pursued the cross for us, pursued the wrath of God for us. This was the plan always. And because he is the I am, he fully satisfies God's wrath. He paid it all, friends. When we drink the cup that symbolizes his blood, his forgiveness, we drink, we receive, it's all done. I don't have to beat myself up anymore. I can lay that down. I don't have to seek justice against others who harmed me because God is meeting out that justice for me through Jesus. I can forgive because he's forgiven me. When we drink that and we receive that, we're released from the shame of this world, released from the infection of death and sin and bitterness because he substituted himself in our place. You're forgiven. Your name is daughter, son. Beloved daughter and son of the king, you are mine. But this only is true, friends, if you have received it. This isn't something we just assume. You have to surrender. You have to bow before him and say, I want you to be the I am in me. I want you to be my God. I want you to live in me. I want to live for you. There's this reconciliation. We need to surrender. We got to receive the gift if it's going to live in us or be true for us. To help us prepare to receive Christ's body broken for us symbolically through the crackers, Christ's blood shed for us. I want us to just take a moment to just reflect. Isaiah 53 is a very powerful passage. 700 years before Jesus came, it's a prophecy about how Jesus would put himself in our place. And I just want you to reflect and receive. Prepare your hearts as we come to the table to receive again Jesus' work in us, Jesus' work for us. I'm going to pray here and then Ron, you go ahead and play the song and then I'll have the, 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 the elders and the worship team come up after the video. And the way the communion will be done here is this is purely on your own. We'll have a couple songs being played, but you're able to come up as you are ready to receive communion and you're able to take it in your own time. And just to ask for a logistical piece. If you can come down th- these, uh, these aisles and then go up the middle, come down the outer aisle and go up the middle just for logistics, that'd be to make it easier. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for the truth and, and communicating through John to show us, Jesus, how you came in pursuit of us with reckless love 
for lost sheep. Lord God, may it not be lost on us the gravity, the significance of the cost it was to you, but, but as a result, the, the demonstration of your love for us. And the power available to us right now, God, is we, re, we re, receive afresh your work for us, your love for us, to replace the darkness of death in us, to replace, Lord God, the darkness of death before us. You give us life, not just when we die. You give us life now in the face of death. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.